The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this Monday night, May 23rd. Glad to have you along this evening on UltimateSportsTalk.com. I'm Dave Mitchell. We're going to sit back and talk about how the Cincinnati Reds went winless this past week and the Cleveland Indians continue to flounder against every team in Major League Baseball except those that are named the Reds. And in order to do that, let's go down south and talk to our resident Cincinnati Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well, Dave, I'm okay, but your description of a Cincinnati Reds expert, I think, uh, I'm not sure there's anybody on the planet that is a Cincinnati Reds expert because they wouldn't be in last place and destined to have the worst record in baseball uh, this year. I mean, they, they could shatter that dubious distinction by having the worst record in baseball by maybe five or six games. So if anybody was an expert, I think they could probably figure out something to do with this team, because I sure can't. And yet, Mark, they don't have the worst record in baseball. It's early. (laughs) You've got the Minnesota Twins who are worse, and you've got the Atlanta Braves who are worse, who, by the way, fired their manager last week. Were you surprised at that? Yeah, I was a little bit. I don't know why a guy who was at Miami a few years ago and was manager of the year or close to it uh, is now fired because he takes over a horrible team in Atlanta, and they 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 respond accordingly. They are playing as advertised. And yet that may, that may be the same situation, Mark, that the Reds will find themselves in. <laughs> At the end of this season, because if the Reds continue to go the way they are, but for all intents and purposes, Brian Price will be out of a job. Yeah, and I I think it would be for the same reason, which is kind of inexplicable, because uh, the Reds are supposed to be horrible, they're playing horribly, and they're going to have a horrible record. So what's the big surprise here? You could have put Connie Mack or Sparky Anderson or Joe Madden. You think Joe Madden? would make a difference with the Reds roster? I don't. Probably not a lot right now. The Reds are just a bad ball club, and uh, it's not going to get better soon. So what we're experiencing this year is probably going to happen next year. And, you know, I, I think what's happening, you see the attendance numbers going down, understandably, for this team. And the Reds apparently did this to their to themselves basically by getting rid of all their players because they weren't making enough money. So what do they do? They trade off Cueto, Leak, Frazier, and then wonder why their attendance is down, which means they make less money. I, I don't get the math here. I'm pretty good at math. And <laughs> wouldn't it seem that you would ease into a rebuild so you don't lose revenue, you, you don't lose interest. And what's going to be, this is the third year in a row now, this team has been horrible. At some point, people say, the hell with baseball, I'll go golf, or I'll take my kids to the zoo, or we'll do something else. And I don't understand the business mentality of that. Because it is arithmetic at the end of the day. And if you are going to cry, we're making these changes because we are losing revenue, and then you go out and do things that's going to exacerbate that, that is illogical to me. Mark, yeah, let me ask you the question. If you could magically take 
the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds and give either team the Indians pitching staff and the Reds defensive team and their fielding squad or, and their hitting squad, I think you'd have a first place team in either division. I, I'm not as optimistic or supportive of the Reds' offense as you might be. Uh, uh, compared to the Indians, I think they're murderers row. Well, you know, I guess it's all the eye of the beholder. I, I, the Reds just, Joey Votto is hitting 204. We're almost into June. This is no longer a slow start. This is a bad year because I don't care what you hit the rest of the year. If you hit 204 after 200 at-bats and you're only going to have maybe 500 at-bats for the year, you cannot bring that average up. He is likely to end up in the 52-60 range this year, which you're paying the guy $25 million. Now, here's his, you can write this down. He's probably going to hit in the, between 250 and 260. He's going to have 18 to 22 home runs, and he's going to drive in 65 to 75 runs. That's almost, and that's assuming he has a great second half. And there, there's no way after the numbers, after you go through two or 300 at-bats, you cannot effectively make a big dip in those numbers I just mentioned. And you're paying a guy $25 million. You're not only killing yourself economically, he is destroying any future trade value. We talked last week about Joey Votto going to the Boston Red Sox. You think the Red Sox or any other team are going to pay that kind of money for a 250 hitter, a 260 hitter? No, they won't. Uh, the Red Sox would be stupid enough to do it. Well, they, they would have to be stupid. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I want to talk, speaking of stupidity, Mark, let's talk about the Cleveland Indians. The Indians are playing a doubleheader against the Chicago White Sox. That game started at 5. It got over about 45 minutes ago. The first game did. And they lost that first game 7-6, to six, Mark. And they lost it primarily because they do not have any outfielders on this team. None. Period. End of story. No outfielders with Michael Brantley on the disabled list. They pulled a move tonight which makes me question the sanity of Terry Francona. Why in the world? First of all, the Indians brought up a career minor leaguer in Michael Martinez to play center field today. Now, that would be perfectly fine, except for the fact that Michael Martinez, Mark, is a second baseman. He's a second baseman. We obviously have no outfield prospects in minor league baseball because everybody that they bring up, Mark, with the exception of Tyler Naquin, which all he does is hit 300 at the, at the major league level. But they're upset over the fact that he has a bad first step on a, chasing fly balls in center field. So they have to send him down. So we move Michael Martinez from center field in the seventh inning, move him to right field, put Rajay Davis into the ball game to play center field, and the first batter in the bottom of the seventh inning, what does he do? Hits a fly ball to Rajay Davis who bobbles it and drops it again. Mark, that is the fourth time this year this guy has had a ball, a routine fly ball, in his glove and can't catch the doggone thing. How long is it going to take before Terry Francona comes to his senses and decides that this guy cannot play the outfield? Or how long is it going to take before Chris Antonetti decides that they've got to get some major league outfielders on this team? That's the reason I brought up the fact about the Reds' defense and hitting squad miraculously changing places with the Indians and putting the Indians' pitching staff, bullpen and starting staff, on the Reds or vice versa. I think you would have a first-place team. Mark, this team is three and a half games out of first place, and they have blown five games. I, I kid you not. Five games this year because the outfield cannot catch a fly ball. Juan Uribe has been a total bust at third base. Jose Ramirez, who I have never been a fan of, cannot play the outfield. But, Mark, I am seriously thinking that they should either put him at third base and let him play every day or move Jason Kipnis to third and put Ramirez at second. And let's get some outfield bodies. And right now, I am seriously considering your trade pro pro uh, proposal of Trevor Bauer 
for Jay Bruce. I am seriously considering it because that guy at least can catch a fly ball. How long does it take, Mark, before you realize that you need outfield help before you're out of the, This is the Indians two years ago, Mark, when they were the most worst team defensively in Major League Baseball. This is terrible. This is an embarrassment. This is a drawback to your pitching staff, which pitches their butts off every single game, and you've got a guy out in center field that can't even catch a fly ball. Well, I, we the other day, if you remember against the Indians, Jay Bruce was not in the lineup, and there was speculation on the Internet that he was being traded to Cleveland because he wasn't in the lineup against Cleveland, or was it against um, Seattle? Seattle. It may have been Seattle. But there was still speculation that the fact he wasn't in the lineup, that he was going to be traded. Now, he wasn't traded, but he certainly has improved his value. Uh, he, he had two home runs against the Indians the other night in a game, and he's, he's an outstanding defensive player for right, for right field. And he's played center. He's going to go somewhere. And he, he's a big bat. If he came to Cleveland, you, you're guaranteed, not guaranteed, but very likely he's going to hit 30 to 35 home runs. He's going to drive in 80 or 90 runs. He may hit 230, 235. Uh, but he'll play good defense, and he's a good team guy. There's a value for Jay Bruce. So a team except that Terry Francona will find something wrong with this guy and probably stick him against left-handers. He does this with everybody, Mark. I am so tired of this guy. I've got to come right out and say it. I want to rescind my prediction that the Indians were going to win the American League pennant. I'll tell no. you right now. I will go on record and say this. They will never win a division. They will never win an American League pennant as long as Terry Francona and Chris Antonetti are leading this ball club. Mark it down, as Jim Rome says, rack it. You can put this on tape, and if they ever do, I'll play this again. I'll admit I'm wrong. But in the next few years when we do this show, Mark, as long as those two guys are involved in the organization, they will never win a division or a pennant. First of all, David, you are unable to rescind your prediction. It is on tape. I have it. Everybody has heard it. Our millions of listeners out there have heard it. They've also heard you say on more than one occasion that Francona is an outstanding manager. Now, yourself. You no, I've never said he's an outstanding No, I have never said he is an outstanding manager. What I have said about Francona, I'm going to deny that right now. What I've said about Francona is he's got a reputation as an outstanding manager. I myself has ne have never said that I think he is an outstanding manager. I have always said I can understand why Boston got rid of him. He has a knack. He's a great players manager, no doubt. Players manager. But as far as a tactician, as far as a guy that handles a bullpen... You know what my dad says about Francona? And this is hilarious. He thinks he's Sparky Anderson incarnate as far as the way he handles a bullpen. Well, Sparky had the bullpen to handle. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And the problem is, is that Terry Francona burns out his bullpen. He burns out his bullpen. Look, I, I don't want to hear any comments about any bullpen, because <laughs> no matter what you no matter what you say, whatever your grievance, no matter how heartfelt your grievance, imagine a bullpen that the collective ERA is just below seven, seven, and they are the worst bullpen by a factor in Major League Baseball, and they are on the precipice of setting a major league record for the worst bullpen in the history of baseball. So I don't want to hear any complaints about the Indians' bullpen because I would trade them. You could have anybody on our in our pitching staff, and I'll take your bullpen. You can have all 13 pitchers. Mark, I watched Steve Delabar against the Indians last week. Now, he's... 
no longer a member. Well, I guess technically he's still a member of the Cincinnati Reds. He's been designated for assignment. They've got 10 days to do something with him. But I saw him against the Indians last week. Came in with the bases loaded and walked three consecutive guys. And I asked somebody about that. I said, you know, after you walk the first two, wouldn't you just say if you're on the mound to heck with it and just throw it right down the middle and just see if they could hit it? Well, first of all, let me clarify something. He walked four in a row. Wasn't okay. three, it was four. And as you saw on TV, what, what got me was he wasn't close. No. <laughs> I mean, he was you know, three and two. He's throwing the ball over the guy's head. And clearly he's not a major league pitcher. And But he, at one time, when they first brought him up, they were touting the fact he throws 96, 97. He's going to be the savior of the bullpen. And this has happened with everybody they brought up. It's it's pathetic. And you know, I, I'll, I'll make a small wager with you that sometime this year there's going to be a grievance filed with Major League Baseball by other teams that the Reds are so horrifically bad that they're doing it on purpose so they get a draft another low draft pick next year. Uh, it, it, it's clear what they're doing. And I don't know how they get away with it. Well, I mean, they can't file a grievance against the Reds as long as they're not the worst team, even in the National League, Mark. They're not even worse than the Atlanta Braves. Yes, but they're they're getting there. They're closing in. They're only two games now worse than the Braves. They were seven or eight games better than the Braves, you know, better than the Braves a couple of weeks ago. The Reds have lost ten out of eleven. They've lost seven in a row. They're going to get swept in Los Angeles this week. I think they then go on to either San Diego or, or San Francisco to get swept again. No, they play at Milwaukee. They, they go to L.A. and back to Milwaukee? Yes. Uh, well, they might win a game in Milwaukee. The, 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 it's so – I don't know how they even score tonight against Kershaw. They might score the next two nights against Los Angeles, but the chances of them winning are almost nil. And the, the point that I, I think has to be made is this team is not even close to being average. They're, they're so far below average that it's likely they won't be average for two or three more years. That's, that's how barren it is. And on, yet, Mark, and yet, the 25-man roster. And yet, Mark, as you say, it's their bullpen that's the biggest problem. Their pitching staff, their starting staff, has not been that bad. Is it great? No. Is it good? Probably not. But it's been mediocre. It's been well enough to keep them in games throughout the first six innings, and then their bullpen just goes to shambles. Dave, Dave, Alfredo Simon is their number three starter. He's got a 10.66 ERA. He's their starter. And, and how many starting pitchers do you have? On the DL. Granted. And w when you have your five of your starting pitchers, the guys who are going to be your top five pitchers on the DL, do doesn't that wave any kind of flag for anybody about what these guys are doing in the offseason? What kind of training are they having? W what kind of uh, input are they getting from the pitching staff and the training staff about what they're doing? How can you have five for five? And, and when question. you say go down, or when I say that, is it because they don't want to win that they don't have these guys come back? The uh, Paul Moscott, or uh, I think it's Moscott, I forget his first name. Um, Moscott went down with an injury to his left shoulder. He's been in the DL for over a month on his left shoulder. <laughs> now, how bad is right hander. He? If your left shoulder is sore, I've had a, shore, a sore shoulder. I dislocated a shoulder a couple times, but it was my left shoulder. And I'm a right-hander, you know. And, and Homer Bailey, they've they basically shut him down. He's not going to be pitching again now until July or August, they said. And you have Rasiel Iglesias, who had a so, sore shoulder, and rather than putting him down for a couple weeks or taking him off. The rotation, he's been down now for almost two months. It goes on and on and on. And yet you have 
guys pitching for the Reds that shouldn't even be in AAA, and they're starting for Cincinnati. That's my point about Major League Baseball saying, wait a minute, you are obliged to put at least a competitive team on the field. So when people come to see you play, it's you're not getting shut out every other night uh, or no hit or you don't score any, or you, you have four hits on average over the last three weeks. It's it's insane. That with the, with the horrible starting pitching and the even worse relief pitching. I'll bet you somebody is going to say something about it because this team is not even competitive, Dave. Well, I, I understand what you're saying about not being competitive, and, and I get that. I mean, the Indians went in there and swept them four in a row, which, by the way, I, I've got to say this about Major League Baseball. You know, and you and I have discussed this, Mark, and probably ad nauseum, but it just continues to amaze me that Major League Baseball, and I, I know Rob Manfred's only been the job, been on the job for about a year, maybe 15 months, 16 months tops as commissioner. He can't change everything in one fell swoop. So a lot of this falls into the lap of, former commissioner Bud Selig, but whomever decided to play the Cincinnati-Cleveland series on weeknights should lose their job. They should be placed on welfare and made to undergo drug testing for the rest of their life because they cannot obviously read a roadmap and know that Cleveland and Cincinnati are five and a half hours from each other straight down Route 71. It's not just a quick hop, skip, and a jump. So how in the world do they expect to make money by sending these guys to Cleveland and to Cincinnati for a two-night series and not be able to do anything else? I mean, you've, you've got a situation, Mark, where Major League Baseball's really got to change this. They play the Yankees and the Mets on the weekend, and that brings me to another question that makes me crazy about Major League Baseball and this schedule that they have put together. Explain to me, as bad as the Reds are, and you've gone ad nauseum to say how bad the Reds are, why is it fair for the Indians to play the Reds four times this year when none of the rest of the American League Central gets that opportunity? Well, because it's an historical series. They, they played it every year, and sometimes the Reds are good, and sometimes they aren't. That part... I get what I don't get on a, on a bigger scale is why do we even have interleague play anymore? Who cares? I agree. I, that's what I was leading it to. It, it's it's over. It's done with. It was a great experiment. It didn't work. Let's get on with it. Well, that's the problem with Major League Baseball. They they get into these blind paths, and they they it's like the designated hitter. They, everybody knows it's stupid. It's not good for baseball. But because of the union, uh, we're going to have a designated hitter, and either do away with it, or both teams, both leagues ought to have it, or neither league ought to have it. But I, I think well, it's, and, and after today, Mark, after today, Mark, I, I'm I'm more in favor of the designated hitter than probably ever before because Pirates pitcher Ryan Vogelsong. Did you see what happened to him today? I did not. He left PNC Park in an ambulance today after being struck in the head by a pitch. They said after today's game that the pitcher has a left eye injury, including the orbital bone around it, which is the bone, if you recall, that Herb Score broke and was never the same when he was hit in the face by a line drive when he was pitching for the Cleveland Indians back in the 50s. Now, Vogelsong was admitted to Allegheny General Hospital, and no further updates will be available until Tuesday. There's a still picture. I don't know how they got this, whether they freeze-framed the video from it or what. There is a still picture out on the Internet of him getting hit by the pitch, Mark, and you can see his entire left side of his face collapsing in. It's an ugly sight. Yeah, and that's that's it's horrible to hear. I did I did not um, I did not see that. I'm, I'll see it later tonight. But uh, that that's you know it's I had been hit. Uh, I was hospitalized when I was a kid. Uh, I pitched in an All Star game. I was nine or ten years old. I was pitching to grown men, 
uh, as a reward. I was pitching batting practice, and a, a big guy hit a line drive back to the box, uh, struck me in the orbit of the eye, uh, <laughs> broke my nose, broke my jawbone, broke the orbit of the eye, knocked out uh, four or five teeth, and I can still see that ball coming back at me. And I'm sure what happened to Vogelsong today was a ball hit or pitched much harder. But uh, it that's something you never forget. If you get hit by a pitched ball or you get hit by a line drive like that, it, it changes you. It, it changes your approach to the game. And it led me to switch hit. It, it, it was such a, a, a bad injury. Of course, I couldn't play baseball the rest of the year. I had a concussion. I was unconscious uh, for two days and and all that, which may explain a lot about my life. But, you know, I, I know what Vogelsong is going through, and he may never recover. Herb Score did not recover. Uh, he, he pitched again, but he was never the same. And you don't realize when you, when you have some, some kind of traumatic injury like that, uh, Vogelsong is a right-hand pitcher, if I recall, and he, he'll he never be able to pitch the same way with the same immunity that he always had. He'll always wonder, my God, if another line drive or you know, if a line drive comes back to me or if he's at the plate again, it, it's, it changes you as an athlete. Oh, definitely. I mean, Herb Score... Never was the same type of pitcher. Now, he hardly ever talked about it. Normally, he wouldn't talk about being hit. But I do remember one interview one time where he said that he had to change his entire motion to inadvertently protect himself from being hit again, and it caused arm problems for him throughout the rest of his career. And he never was the same, Mark. Do you remember who the hitter was? Gil McDougal. Very good. Or, or was it Gil McDougal? Yes, it was. It's Gil McDougal. Okay. Yeah. I, well, that was before my time. I guess I'm dating myself a little bit. I think that happened in 1957 or 58. 55, I think. Was it 55? Okay. Yeah, that was five years before my time. Sorry. But yeah, I I, I do remember. I even remember see. I still remember seeing the pictures after Score got hit uh, in the face with that that line drive. Nonetheless, hey. Back to the Reds' bullpen. They sent Jumbo Diaz and Kevia Sampson back down to AAA. Is Jumbo Diaz done? Have they given up on him, or was this just a procedural thing? Uh, I think it's maybe a combination of the two. The guy throws 95 miles an hour, so there's going to be a home for him somewhere. But, Dave, he just gets the ball and rips it. He throws it hard. He has no idea where it's going. Uh, he has no finesse. Uh, he doesn't seem to understand the game. He doesn't seem particularly bright to me because I've heard him talk about the way he pitches, and it just doesn't make sense from an, <laughs> from a, uh, I guess, intellectual perspective. He just has no clue. And th- that's why I think they probably did what they did. Now, there may be a reason they needed a position player. Uh, I-, I don't know. But... Uh, Again, it's it's laughable what's happening, and I heard a very interesting thing on ESPN the other night. They were talking about the Reds. It was on ESPN Radio, and they were talking about how important this upcoming draft is for Cincinnati. This could alter, in the next 12 months, could alter this organization for a generation. Now, that's that's a big statement, but that's what they said. They said, because if the Reds draft poorly this year and next, now they're going to have the first-round pick, then they get a sandwich pick between the, the, the first and second round, and then they have a high second-round pick. So they have a chance to draft three outstanding super talents in the first 35 players. So it's incredible that so much is being put, and, they, and their explanation was the Reds have the opportunity and they've got the money. They have saved enough money. They can sign not only these three guys, but they can sign international players. They have a high draft pick on the international side. And 
next year at this time, they're going to be in the same position. They won't have a sandwich pick, I don't think, but they're going to have another number one or number two pick next year. If they screw these draft picks up, this organization could be down for a generation, and don't think that's overstatement. Just ask the Pittsburgh Pirates what happened to them after, what, 1993? It took 20 yeah, they didn't win in 20 years. That's right. And that and that's something that we don't want to see the Reds get in the middle of because if they do, they are going to ruin. And the Indians know this probably better than anybody. The the Cubs have been, you know, the lovable losers, but the Indians, they have just been laughable losers. When you go twenty years, Mark, without a winner, you almost lose an entire generation. Well, that's my point, and that's why this draft and and the the, the problem is. When the draft is in two weeks, isn't it, or ten days, whatever it is, uh, you won't know how good that draft pick is or those draft picks are for probably five years. So you've got that this the time between the draft and the college players that could help you in a couple of years. But even if they are superstars, look at Strasburg as an example. Look at uh, other pitchers who have been superstars the first year they signed. Well, they don't become good. They've got great arms and great stuff. They don't become good for three or four years. Look at Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto, I mean, he, he's a great pitcher. It took him a long time to become good, you know. So <clears throat> it, it's conceivable you're five, six, seven years away from a, a player making a major contribution to your team, even if they are a high draft pick. And that's what's frightening about what's coming up for the Reds. And uh, I don't know who will make that judgment or who's going to make the determination, but this is an organizational decision that has to be right. Well, Walt Jockety's probably running it, and I would be very surprised if it's something that is done correctly, but that's just me talking about Walt Jockety. Hey, Mark, before we get into the second half hour of the show, I want to tell everybody, friends of the show, uh, the Joe Nuxall Miracle League Fields at Hatton Park, well, they are having a dedication ceremony, and it's for Bernie and Joe's best seat in the house, and this is really to honor the Bernie Stowe and his family. Mark, tell everybody who Bernie Stowe was in conjunction with the Cincinnati Reds. With the Reds now, I think for over 50 years, Bernie Stowe started as a bat boy, worked his way into the clubhouse, and became a fixture. He was he was really a beloved player, a beloved figure with all the players, and his son Mark Stowe, and I think there's another Stowe uh, sibling uh, that is involved with the Reds uh, in in the clubhouse. And Bernie, I met Bernie a couple times at Dream Week, and just a great down to earth guy, just just a cool dude. Everybody liked Bernie. Uh, if, if you needed anything in the clubhouse, Bernie was the guy. And he, he was very respected. Uh, he, he didn't suffer fools. And it, it's a very worthwhile organization that they have formed. And Bernie and Joe Nuxall uh, certainly are two of my favorite guys. And they made Dream Week a lot of fun. I, I went there twice, got to meet them. And uh, they really... There was something about the attitude of those two guys. It was a throwback into the you know 40s, 50s, and 60s, and uh, just cool guys. So anything that they have their name associated with, you can bet it. Well, well, on this press release, Mark, it's got a picture of Bernie Stowe and Joe Nuxhall, and it, it's a great picture. I'll have to forward that email to you. But this is all coming up on Saturday, June 11th at 10 a.m. at the Joe Nuxhall Miracle Fields, which is located at 4850 Grow Lane in Fairfield, Ohio. If you've got any questions or want to be a part of this, call 513-829-6899. That's 513-829-6899. The MC is going to be former Fox Sports TV announcer George Grand, and he's going to be the master of ceremonies. And as you said, Mark, many members of the Bernie Stowe family will also be present at the dedication. So... That is coming up on June 11th at 10 a.m. at the Joe Nuxall Miracle League Fields in Fairfield, 
Ohio. Mark, is there any rhyme or reason as to when Tom Brenneman does TV for the Reds or switches to the radio? No, not that I'm aware of. I know last week against the Indians um, on my TV station, because the Indians and the Reds were playing, I get the Fox Sports Go app, and instead of having the Indians broadcast on last week, they had just the Reds broadcast, and they had somebody else that was doing the play-by-play, so I just assumed that Tom Brenneman was doing the radio. When is Marty actually doing Reds games, and when does he take off? Is there any, any set schedule? If there is, they don't announce it because I think they're afraid to. Uh, <laughs> Jim Kelsch does the, the radio most of the time now, and he'll team up with Jeff Brantley <clears throat> most of the time. Uh, but Marty is there. I, I don't know what's in his contract. <clears throat> I would guess he, he's certainly cutting back his schedule. I don't blame him. He's, he's in his 70s. He's cutting back, and it's... The thing that, that bothers me about the Reds broadcasters is they don't t- bring the Reds to task about what's going on, which means <clears throat> if they do or they agree with it. <clears throat> Pardon me. So if they agree with it, maybe they ought to say that. They say If, if they said, hey, there's a plan here, and it's going to be painful for a year or two, this is now the third year of pain, but there's a plan. But they don't say anything. They, and, and if you are not a fan of Cleveland Indians broadcast, I, you know, the TV, I really like Chris Welsh. I think he's terrific. He's one of the most, he's one of the most knowledgeable baseball guys that he really knows the game. And that's, that, that's what I like. Tom Brenneman doesn't really know the game. And Tom Brenneman, they get on these tangents of talking about everything but baseball during the broadcast. And I want to scream. You know, they, they're talking about everything but baseball. And it, it just it, it drives me insane sometimes. And maybe it's because the Reds are so bad they don't want to talk about them. I mean, that could be it. But, you know, Marty Brenneman is a cob. A lot of people, a lot of players don't like him. But he does, most of the time, he'll call it as it should be called. And, but this year, he seems to be soft-soaping it. I, I don't know why. Maybe he's just accepted the fact this team's going to be awful and, and doesn't want to beat a dead horse. I don't know. Well, that, that could be. Mark, a couple things here. Major League Baseball's competition committee last week, you probably heard about this, agreed on a motion to do two things to the game effective next year i think one helps their goal of speeding up the game i think the other totally goes against it now the first thing that goes against it is they are going to move the lower part of the strike zone to the top of the hitter's knees now the current rule stipulates that the zone begins at the hollow beneath the kneecap but the change is in a reaction to a trend by umpires to call strikes on an increasing number of pitches below the knees the other thing that they're going to do is they're going to take the intentional walk out of it. Obviously, they listened to our show a couple of weeks ago because you raised this thing two weeks ago about eliminating the intentional walk and just saying, okay, take first base. That's what they're going to do. They're doing this in an effort to speed up the games. But, Mark, aren't they pitting one rule against the other? Uh, yeah, probably. But, you know, I, I think, <laughs> again, from 100 miles up, Who's complaining about a long game? The only people that are complaining, and I'm going to get into this here in the next, are the networks. That's it, because they cannot format games anymore to fit into their little three-hour time schedule so that they can have Gotham or Blacklist or Heidi come on immediately following the game at 7 o'clock. Well, I... You and I have both been in radio and TV for a while over different parts of our life, but it, that seems to be counterintuitive to me because the longer the game, the more ad time you can sell. So I don't know why they would be the ones complaining. Uh, and to the contrary, if you want to shorten the games, limit the amount of commercials. 
That is why the game is the game. They, the game is no longer than it was in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. It's no longer. I agree. The playing is no longer. You just have now. You, up until this year, you had two minutes and 30 seconds that usually morphed into three minutes between each half inning. That's two per inning. That's th- what six minutes per inning times nine innings. That's a half hour in, on ad time, and that doesn't include the during the game commercials where they say, "Hi, one out in the seventh inning," and by the way, go buy a Coke. Yeah, you know, so you you have probably close to an hour of ads during a commercial during a baseball game. That's what slows the game down. The playing isn't isn't any slower, and I, why I, that seems so blindingly obvious to me that they don't approach that as as the culprit, not the players, or speeding the game up. Well, I've always said if you want to speed up the game, commercials and all, all you've got to do is one thing: call a strike, a strike. Now what they've done is they have shortened the strike zone. If you want guys up there to hit the baseball, have them hit the baseball. Start calling the outs, start calling the pitch just below the knees. Keep it where, keep it where the strike zone is. Basically, Mark, what this is, is the umpires getting together and changing a rule unilaterally without any input from the committee. The, the competition committee has just said, well, the umpires are calling it this way anyway. We might as well just make it that. Now, if, if referees started saying, that in football or in basketball, that, well, if the ball hits the rim, it's not a complete shot. Boy, would would fans have a, 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 would they go nuts over that, Mark? Or if you don't have the ball and hand it to the official when you score a touchdown, it's not a touchdown, it's a fumble. I mean, that's tantamount to what's going on here. The umpires have forced a change in the rule book by the way they've been calling it. And in essence, what they've been doing is they've been going against the rule book now for years. Well, I think the strike zone, to some extent, as a you know, as a player, every umpire strike zone was different, and you had to adjust almost on a daily basis. There were some general you know guidelines, but typically, anything between your shoulders, the you know that your maybe your armpits, and just below your knee, is fair game. And what is amazing to me when I watch on TV now and, and as a player, they would call a guy throws a, a slider or a big breaking curveball, okay? And the catcher catches it, says it's a right hand hitter, right hand pitcher, and the catcher catches it an inch or two off the plate. Okay? You follow me here? Yes. It's a breaking ball. It had to have crossed the plate. It had to have crossed the plate. The laws of physics dictate that a curveball or a slider had to cross the plate, and even though the catcher catches it two, three, maybe even four inches outside, that should be a strike, and it never is. It's always a ball because the catcher reached for it. And by the same token, these backdoor sliders they, they pitch, where a right-hand hitter takes a curveball from a from a pitcher, and the ball never cross the plate, but the catcher catches it behind the plate, as he should, and it looks like a strike. It never crossed the plate. It damn near hit the hitter. So what is going to happen, Dave, maybe in our lifetime, the umpires are going to be out of the equation. You're going to have electronic umpires behind the plate, and you may have one at first base. And if that happens, you, you really don't need umpires. So will they get it every play right? Yep, they probably will. They'll get every play right, and it'll establish a new strike zone. So the, the thing that used to drive me insane as a hitter was when the umpire missed the call because it, it takes the bat out of your hands, and some of these guys, even at the professional level, they just missed the call because there's no hard and fast rules, like you just said, about the strike zone. And I don't think lowering it or raising it is going to change that. Each each umpire is going to have his own zone. 
which, again, it goes back to what I just said. The umpires effectively colluded to get the rules changed. They should not have their own strike zone, Mark. It should be the strike zone as specified by the rule book. That's what they were hired to do was adjudicate the ball game by the rule book, and they were not doing it. If you want to speed up the games, call a strike a strike. From the letters, the armpits, whatever the rule book says, which I understand is just below the armpit to the bottom of the knee, you know, and and all the announcers and everything say, you know, hey, the strike zone is actually from the kneecap to the belt. That's what they're saying, and that's what the umpires call. Anything above the belt is not a strike. Well, if they call that stuff a strike, you could speed up the ball game. Because Major League Baseball is saying the average time of a nine-inning baseball game is up nearly seven minutes compared with this point a year ago. The average nine-inning game this season is going three hours, 26 seconds. Three hours, 26 seconds. Seconds or minutes? Seconds. Okay. Three hours, 26 seconds. Well, my at, the same, at the same time last year, let me, get, let me tell you this. About six weeks in, the average game time was two, minutes, or two hours, 53 minutes, and 33 seconds. So it's seven minutes more. My, my point is, so what? I agree. If you don't like it, turn it off. Yeah, I, I don't understand who, what individual. Is there a guy named you know, Joe Anderson somewhere in Iowa who's saying, hey, baseball's too long, we got to change it? I, I do not hear a groundswell from the fans who are at a game. I don't hear it from fans who want to hear a three-hour game. Uh, like you say, if you don't like it, turn it off. Who's complaining? It's the networks. The networks are the ones that are perpetrating this because what they want, Mark, is they want the opportunity. For example, ESPN and Fox. I'm going to use those two because those are the two networks that are they're televising national games. It's not the networks on the local regional level. It's not Fox Sports One. It's not Sports Time Ohio that covers the Indians. They're not the ones that are that are complaining about this. It's the actual networks in Fox nationally and ESPN nationally. They are the ones that are complaining because when Fox does their game of the week on Saturday, they want to be able to get out of that game, maybe have a couple of words from their experts that they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for to give their their little commentary about what happened in the game and then go smoothly into Gotham or Lucifer or whatever they've got scheduled for 7 or 8 o'clock that night or the local news. ESPN wants to be able to go smoothly into Sports Center at the top of or bottom of the hour. Baseball is not allowing them that opportunity. They've basically cut football up the way it is. The Cavaliers are playing Toronto tonight, Mark. You can bet your bottom dollar that they'll move into Sports Center right at 11:30. That game will be over, done with, unless it goes overtime. It'll be over right at 11:30. You know, I think it was two years ago, maybe three. Uh, having nothing else to do. In fact, I was recovering from a, a leg injury, and I was watching a football game, and I had a stopwatch. And I timed the first half of a football game, a, a Bengals game, actually. And the amount of action in a football game incredibly low. It's all commercials and downtime. You might have... It, it doesn't even compare to baseball. It's so much slower and if you start paying attention to the commercials, on a percentage of time, there are far more commercials than uh, than baseball. Because baseball can have long innings where you have, you know, a half-hour inning with no commercials. Football, every, you know, every time out, every station break, they have hours. On, on a, on a three-hour game, I'll bet you, and I, I would bet somebody money on this, on a three-hour game, I bet you have less than an hour of action in football at NFL because of all the damn commercials. And yet, Mark, when Howard Stern, and I know you've heard of him, was on terrestrial radio, he would do a five-hour show, and he would take two seven-and-a-half-minute breaks per hour, and nobody complained. Nobody. But it's the same with the news shows now. I mean, yes. 
if, if you watch any of the news shows, uh, it's incredible the commercials they run back to back to back to back. It's it's mind numbing that they get away with it, but they do. It's all about the money, and, and you know that's what they're in business to do. So people watch it. You can't blame them. But this thing. No, is- I, I I agree with you. Yeah, they're they're yeah. You, you you've got that situation, Mark, where you know what? I, TV rules the roost. TV runs the sports now. TV gets what it wants. But it's a lot. It's about time now that TV, which has gotten everything that they've wanted, they've infringed upon the ball game. They've infringed upon Major League Baseball. They're trying to do the best that they can to get a clock implemented in Major League Baseball. It is time now that Major League Baseball ask the networks to give something back to them and shut up about all of this. Yeah. Or cut the commercials down from two and a half minutes to two minutes in between each inning. Yeah, they're asking for a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, fans, if you hear a groundswell of fans saying something about the timing, that's one thing. But, David, you and I have been going to baseball games for years and years and years, and I've never heard anybody complain about it. Baseball games back in certainly the 50s, 60s, 70s were as long. And so I, I don't see it as an issue, but uh, you're right. Baseball will probably be dictated to by the networks, and something will be done which is probably unnecessary. Mark, Jose Bautista, in the fight last week with Roughnet Odor, he was suspended one game. Texas Rangers second baseman Odor received an eight-game suspension. First question to you. Do you think that was a fair suspension? Yeah, I do, because he sucker How is that a sucker punch? I mean, I would put big money on Batista in a fair fight against the guy. How is that a sucker uh, you know, he, punch? You're not supposed to swing like that and hit a guy. I mean, he could have broken his jaw, and uh, he, he sucker punched his jaw. So, yeah, I think he should have been suspended. And I also think that he was throwing it at Batista on the double play ball, which you're not I supposed to do either. So, I, and I think everybody... Mark, are you there? Mark, are you there? Okay, we have we have lost we have lost Mark. With Odor, I think he would beat him. There we are. Mark, we we just I think we lost be- everything that you just said. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, if you got Odor and Batista into a ring and let him go at it, I think Odor would get his butt kicked. Uh, and if I think that would have been a fair, more fair fight than, than Mayweather and Pacquiao. Well, he's, like I said, you probably didn't hear it. He sucker punched him. How is that a sucker punch, Mark? Oh, you let him. He punched what? him and hit him. He came came right up with a right hand over, overhand, right. Yeah, I know. And when's the last time you've seen a, a, a start to throw a punch like that? You're like, oh, it was a great punch. Oh, I'm not saying in, it wasn't in the a boxing punch. ring. That would have been that would have been a knockout. Yeah, you, you let anybody <laughs> sucker punch somebody in the jaw. Yeah, it's going to look like a great punch. You put those two in a ring, and Batista would kick him all over the ring. Well, my question is, had he not hit him, if he swung and missed, would it have been an eight-game suspension or just maybe four or five? Oh, I think it'd have been less. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it'd have been less. But he was trying to hurt him, and, and again, I, uh, it wasn't a fair fight when you get sucker punched. I don't. What is your definition of sucker punch? Batista saw it coming the entire way. Well, he may have seen it coming. He saw it too late because when's the last time you've seen that occur in League Baseball? You're not supposed to swing. You're not supposed to fight. So yeah, guys, they push each other and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it, to me it was a sucker punch. I, I, well, and and I think he picked the wrong guy to to cheap shot on a slide into second. Uh, I, I loved the whole thing. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was old time baseball personified. Now, okay, I want to move on to another quick subject here, very quickly as we're rounding out this week's show. Mark, 
Remember what I told you last October when the Toronto Blue Jays hired Mark Shapiro? This was the beginning of the end for their organization. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays, as of tonight, they are 22-24, and and they are mired in last place in the American League's Eastern Division. The Mark Shapiro effect is taking place. Well, Dave, you can try your best to change the subject, but you're not going to go back on your prediction. (laughs) You predicted the Cleveland Indians were going to win the division, and now it's not even June yet, and you are backing out of this like a screaming little girl because your team isn't playing well. I mean, where are your... Where's your commitment, Dave, to your organization that you decided in March was going to win the Central Division of the American League? I, I'm really appalled by your 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 lack of confidence in your organization. Oh, my gosh, Mark. We've done this show for six years. When have I ever shown confidence in the Indians organization? Well, I think it's a character flaw, Dave. You, you back out on your prediction... At this early date, I mean, you're, how many games are you out of first place? Well, right now we're three and a half, and it's tied 1-1 in the second game. So if they win the second game, it could be two and a half again, or it could be as much as four and a half, and we could be in third place depending upon what Kansas City does tonight. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, why don't you quit your, your whining to <laughs> teen games out of first place? And it's only May, and even uh, that's the same number of games. Atlanta is out of first place. So uh, I don't feel sorry for you. Uh, the Indians have a great chance to come back and win the division. And now it's your predict. If they did come back and win, it, it, it means nothing about your your predictive powers because you've already wussed out and said, no, they're not going to win the division now. I was just kidding. I was just wrong. I was wrong. There, were, I, I, I got caught up in the hype, Mark. I got caught up in the Sports Illustrated articles and everybody telling me that this team had the best pitching in probably baseball, which I still agree with. That, that part I don't disagree with. What, what I did not foresee coming was the fact that they were going to start playing second-string infielders from the minor leagues at the major league level in the outfield. That's what I did not foresee. Mark, a couple other quick items here as we end tonight's show. First of all, Jimmy Rollins earlier tonight, the shortstop for the White Sox, played all those years for the Philadelphia Phillies and then last year for the Dodgers. He singled in the second inning of the first game, and that made him the 49th player to reach 2,500 hits in Major League Baseball history. Quickly, Mark, is he a Hall of Famer? Uh, he's be, he'll be on the cusp. I think you have to compare him to Barry Larkin and look at their numbers. And if he matches up, yeah, he probably is. Uh, he, I think, what, Philly won uh, at least one World Series with him at shortstop. That helps. And uh, he, he was a heck of a player. He certainly is on the short list. Uh, I'm not sure he matches up to Larkin, though. And on this day in baseball back in 1953, Mark, I won't ask you this. It's kind of unfair. Bob Feller won his 250th game of his career. Yeah, that would have been unfair. That would have been unfair. (laughs) But he won. He won it. So... We've already told you what's going on with the Reds this week. They've got the Dodgers tonight. That first pitch will be in about 15 minutes. Then they play the Dodgers out at Old Chavez Ravine. What do they call it now, Mark? It's still called uh, what's well, called Dodger Stadium. They, they got rid of Chavez Ravine, huh? No, it's it's at Chavez Ravine. It's a location. Okay. But the right. Dodger well, Stadium that... was built in Chavez, Chavez Ravine. Okay. Well, they play tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday off, and then the Reds take a plane flight to Milwaukee, and they play there Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. The Indians have two more games after tonight's doubleheader with the White Sox in Chicago. Then they take off Thursday, and they will be at home for Baltimore on Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. We'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good week. Same to you, David. 
That's going to do it for us tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hey, don't forget, coming up this Thursday on UltimateSportsTalk.com, it will be high school baseball where the Waynedale Golden Bears will be taking on Berkshire Burton. And that will be at coming up at 5 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. So join us then here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. That's going to do it for this week's show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing, to Mark Donahue, of course, for joining us tonight. But most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell, reminding you we'll be back again next Monday night at 9 with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, good night. The Wiz Kids have won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter.